the 10 habits of highly successful and most valued dentists. Now, before you join this episode, I want to apologize profusely. I am so sorry for the poor audio quality in the first 10 to 11 minutes of this podcast. So if you, like me, uh, hate cringeworthy, poor quality, then you might want to skip to 11 minutes. You'll, you'll miss the first habit if you like. Uh, but if you can bear it, if, or if you've got good quality headphones, then try your best. There's a problem with remote podcasting, you know, uh, different quality headphones, internet issues. So again, really sorry for the poor audio quality of the first 10 minutes. So, but I hope you still gain value from this fantastic episode. Uh, so many gems from Rajiv Ruwala. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. And this is probably more important. It's not okay for you to develop as a dentist, not be able to communicate with that patient, spend a lot of money on your own investment, and then they don't take the treatment and you don't get rewarded for it. I think people miss that one out. So that's not okay for us either. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. This episode is about the 10 habits of highly successful and most valued dentists with Dr. Rajiv Ruwala. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 42 of the Petrucci's Dental Podcast. I bet you guys are sick of my monologues, right? So the whole of September, I did Splintember, and I managed to get about four episodes in there. I still owe you one episode, but I thought now that it's October, I'd get back into the flow of the usual style of episodes because I think you guys are probably sick of hearing my voice, so let's mix it up. Uh, I guess I owe you one episode about finishing off, you know, final words about anterior splints, uh, comparing one to another. So I'll do that next month in November, if you don't mind. So for this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Rajiv Ruwala, who has such a massive impact on my career. It's probably the reason why I'm a GDP as it stands. So now Rajiv is someone who's such an agreeable dentist to me. Every time he posts something on social media, on one of the dental groups, I'm like, yes, I completely agree with him. Uh, and he's full of so much wisdom. He's great at really all the aspects of dentistry. He's, he's someone you really hate because they're just good at everything. But he made this post on one of the dental groups, which is called the 10 Habits of the Most Successful Dentists and Most Valued Dentists. And I just love that list. And I thought it deserved its own episode, which is what this is. So before we dive in and, and join Dr. Rajiv Rawala to reveal those uh, 10 habits, uh, I want to share with you the Petrusa Dental Pearl. And the pearl for this episode, it stems from my history with Rajiv. Basically, I was uh, introduced to Rajiv through this mentorship uh, program with Rina Wadia a few years ago. Uh, and as part of it, I went to shadow Rajiv Ruwala. And it's from that very powerful experience of shadowing another dentist like Rajiv, which had such a huge impact on my career. So my pearl for you is, I'm hoping the COVID situation is gonna reduce at any point, uh, and then you'll be able to do the following. I want you to email, call, or Facebook message, or tweet, or whatever, a local dentist whom you really respect, and just say, hey, can I come and shadow you, even if it's just for half a day, you will learn so much, I guarantee it. So that's my pearl for you. Make it happen. Are you going to action on this or not? It's really up to you, but I think you have so much to gain to do it. Uh, so that's my pearl. Shadow someone who will learn a lot. So let's join Rajiv for the episode. I hope you like it and I'll join you in the outro. So we've got Rajiv Ruwala on the podcast today, someone who um, I've admired for a long time. I shadowed you maybe around, I don't know, five, six years ago, something like that, something cr crazy like yeah, that. Something like that. Sophia, right? 
it was it was it was it was oh gosh it, it, it was a couple of years out, uh, out of dental school or, or maybe the first year it was it was very early on yeah. and honestly I, I think I if I if I didn't have that experience with you on that day I might not be a GDP today that's the level of impact you had on me and I, and I sort of talked talked about your philosophies oh. and the, the protocols and stuff in one of the earlier episodes uh, which is like my first interference cast but honestly you had a massive impact on my career trajectory so like little, little things that you have sometimes that sort of change the course of your career and the reason because most people say okay why was it so impactful for me is because I saw a GDP working in a busy environment. Um, I don't know if you're fully private, what, what you're doing. It seemed like it was mixed, perhaps. Yeah, it's definitely mixed. I still do my NHS. It's, granted, it's not a huge amount, but um, I still like doing NHS work. And most of my patients come and see me on the NHS. Um, which which is what I saw and I thought wow you're making this work yeah, yeah you, you're making it work and uh, yeah. it, it seemed just amazing the, the systems that you had the type of work you were doing it was, it was truly inspiring and then of course on, on Facebook the other day you posted the 10 habits of highly successful successful and most valued dentists and I absolutely loved it but to, to, be, to be fair with you you're mm. someone who on Facebook Every time you post something, I'm like, yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. I've never like once disagreed <laughs> with you. Can you believe it? But it, it doesn't mean that um, you're perfect or, or, or that we and me and you are always right. Oh, it just means no that our, means. It, it, what it means is that our values must align in some dimension. The way we see the world, me and you, uh, align yeah. to some degree, because I always find myself agreeing with you. And I take a lot of... Um, uh, takeaway points from your post. So this mammoth post that you did, this 10 points, is just sensational and I want everyone to, to know about it. So if it's okay with you, Rajiv, the way we're going to do it is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say your um, 10 points um, one by one mm -hmm. and then t uh, tell you to sort of home in on one or two points about that point to get it from your perspective. What were you thinking uh, about that point and, and to get make, make points more tangible. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Super. So the first one is that, uh, so one of the habits of a highly successful and most valued dentist is that they can listen to the patient's story and find a treatment to become a solution for the patient. So they can listen to a patient's story and find a treatment to become a solution for the patient. So I want, what I want to ask you to, to, to gain more value from exactly what you wrote there is sometimes patients are not open. They're like a closed book. And to find their sort of hidden story or their main driver or their goal, it's you have to do a bit of work to get to that. And a lot yeah. of dentists will completely uh, go throughout their whole career without realizing that and actually homing in on that. And it's, it's probably something I learned from you a while ago, actually. So my question to you, Rajiv, is based on that uh, first point is any tips in how to encourage patients to tell their story or their goal? And because, like I said, we don't they don't often offer that up front. Yeah, no, in fact, I would say that virtually all patients are like that, um, especially new ones, 100%. It's very rare that a patient will come in and actually say their story. So it's a, like any clinical skill, it can be improved and worked on. Um, and I think talking to patients is a skill. So um, there are lots of tips. I, I, I think the, the first one is that you've got to be open to it. I know it sounds really stupid, but... Um, a curious mind always goes a long way. So I think um, I think actually wanting to understand a patient's motivator is probably the first thing. So it's very difficult to do that if you if you actually can't be bothered. If you just want to get the patient sit down and do the work and not listen to them, it's going to be very 
it's going to be impossible to do that. So that's the first thing. You actually have to want to know what the patient is going through. And the second tip I probably have is that um, if you put yourself in the patient's shoes, it's very easy to understand their issues. So um, if somebody's got a broken premolar, upper premolar, any premolar, it doesn't really matter which one, you can imagine that if you broke your own premolar, what would the motions you'd be going through? The first thing was when it cracks, the first thing you'd be doing, you'd, you'd have to be a bit shocked. And then the second thing you'd probably do is run to the bathroom or in a, a closest mirror and get it and look at it. True. And then the third thing... Or nowadays, get, get your phone out and take time. a selfie. Yeah, or the phone, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the next thing you'd do yeah, is uh, you'd... you'd um, when, when you start trying to use that tooth, you'd realise how difficult it actually is. You'd realise there's a sharp bit that's cutting on your tongue or there's a food getting wedged in there that actually is painful because of the physical pressure of it. And you'll very quickly realise, you, you, you can imagine, you wouldn't want to eat uh, crusty bread or meat, fibrous meat or um, anything sticky. In fact, you probably wouldn't want to eat anything on that side at all. You'd be eating on the other side. And trying to eat with and the other side is actually incredibly difficult. If you... I give every every dentist a challenge to have their dinner tonight and try and eat with one side of your mouth and not touch the other side. It's pretty much impossible. Mm -hmm. So these are the things that people are going through in their everyday lives if they break a tooth, or I'm just using that as an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then if that's the case, that it is affecting their lives in some way because if you don't want to eat some foods, you're avoiding your favourite foods. And so... Uh, if you're avoiding your favorite food, usually somebody will notice. Usually it's mum or partner or kid. Um, if you've got a sharp bit in your tongue that's affecting the way you're speaking, everyone is definitely going to notice. If it's a premolar, there's a good chance somebody's going to be able to see that. Mm -hmm. And so the patient would be hiding their face or mm -hmm. uh, they'd be embarrassed about going for their uh, Zoom meeting on the Protrusive Dental Podcast, mm -hmm. for example, right? Um, and so all these things, a simple broken tooth is affecting their lives on a big, big scale. And the best dentists are able to find that out. So um, what you're saying, Rajiv, is basically, A, to be open to the fact that actually, despite yeah. what they're saying, that, oh, I've got a broken tooth, that you've got to be open to the, the real story uh, and what's that what they're actually going through. And then to have empathy to be able to relate to the patient and actually figure out that actually because... The story is actually yeah. not a broken tooth. The story is the chewing difficulty, the sharpness, the embarrassment. Yeah. That's the story. Of course. And if you try and fix somebody's story uh, and try and fix the problem, how it affects them, that solution is worth thousands of thousands of pounds. Giving them a mechanical solution to fix a hole is worth very, very little. And awesome. I think dentists don't want to sell. They, they want to be valued by their patients. And if you can understand their story and relate their treatment to their story, patients immediately value what you have to say. And if they value what they have to say, it so happens that they tend to spend more money. It's exactly what you said there. It's relating their problem uh, as, a, as their, their own story back to them rather than a mechanical solution for a mechanical problem. Uh, really awesome. Very happy with that.
Hi guys, it's Jazz here. I'm just going to butt in this episode to just uh, inform you about my latest project. It is a Splint Course. So check out splintcourse.com to pre-register your interest. And I just want to tell you about it because in February, I gave my first um, hands-on, in-person live event for Splints, and I had great feedback. Uh, and I'm still in touch with the delegates in a WhatsApp group. But the most common feedback I get is that I wish I could revisit that content. I wish I could revisit that day to, to sort of Look at it again, because every time you get a splint case, every, there, there are nuances and you sort of want to revisit some of the content. So I took that on board and uh, initially I had planned six more dates throughout 2020 for the splint course, but obviously that got cancelled because of COVID because we wanted to keep it hands-on. But now I've turned the course completely online or I'm in the, the finalizing processes of, of getting it online. And if you're interested in a, a very, very comprehensive splint course going through all the different types of splints from diagnosis to prescription to follow-up uh, and also the lab stages, the theory, the evidence, uh, patient communication skills, how to charge appropriately, all that sort of stuff uh, and that's your thing and you want to uh, develop in that area, then pre-register your interest on www.splintcourse.com uh, and I hope you'll join me. For those who have seen the Resin Bonner Bridge course online, it will be a bit like that, how it's delivered. So I hope it will bring you really good value. So if you're interested in that, please register your interest. Uh, and hopefully by December of the new year, I'll have this very bespoke course out ready for you. Thanks so much. Right, so we're going to uh, pick up where we left off. So Rajiv, uh, point number two. So uh, the point number two that you had in your top 10 list was they are proactive in recommending treatment, not reactive. Uh, and I like this one. Uh, I want you to please, if you can, give me a tangible example of where a dentist commonly could be reactive, where perhaps they should be proactive. Uh, and then following on from that, I'm going to give you a scenario that I've come across um, and how you'd handle that. So give me a tangible scenario where we should be more proactive, but for whatever reason, we are reactive. Um, well, I think I think this is more because um, I, I find it's a problem with young dentists, especially. So typically, what will happen with young dentists is they will um, they've been ingrained with this philosophy of minimally invasive dentistry, and they confuse minimally invasive dentistry for not doing any dentistry. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's very rare that you get a experienced clinician that presents a case where they've done nothing. <laughs> it's, it just doesn't happen because I mean e even the most experienced cases uh, practitioners will intervene more often and I think as you get older and more experienced you realize you have to intervene more often um I think I think a good example of that is something like cracked cusps um large amalgam restorations that are showing teeth with um you know that our teeth are very heavily in function. Um, mm. Wear on in, wear on canine edges, which is one of the easiest things to be um, proactive about because you, you you slap some composite on in a very nice way, of course, but um, you you don't have to even take a drill out uh, to to do any of this work. Um, but pretty much, I think as you get older, um, you start wanting to step in before um things go inevitable. wrong and 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 I, I yeah and, and i think that i think the uh, interesting thing is i've got I, I i'm a vt trainer and uh quite frequently they say oh i'm being minimally invasive and my answer to that is well 
what's more minimally invasive you step in and do a little on lay now or you have to step in two years down the line where you have to do a root canal treatment and a full coverage ground um, so yes you have to do a little bit more work now to get a longer term result and i think the best dentists um, and again i think it comes with the experience step in way before um, patients start and shows any problems are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this Protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. Yes. Yeah, and a great example there of, of crack cuss syndrome. So the scenario I want to give you, just get your opinion on based on uh, that exact point of being proactive is what happens yep. where if you have a predicament whereby a dentist takes over a list and the previous yep. dentist was a very reactive dentist whereby you got lots of molars with uh, an intact buccal wall, an MOD amalgam, yeah. and a palatal GIC. And this is like a recurring theme in a lot of patients. How would you tactfully approach that scenario? Because now the patients become a reflection of the dentist. Uh, and now if you yeah. come along and start re- re- you know, suggesting quite appropriately cuspal coverage restorations, um, yeah. and the patients are used to being patched up, how can we handle that scenario? Very difficult scenario. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously difficult, um, that scenario, but uh, I, I think usually it's uh, a younger dentist taking over an older dentist list. And um, I, I think it's often important to explain to the patients exactly the, the difference in philosophy. So you can say, look, uh, I, in fact, to be fair, when I bought my practice, I had exactly that scenario. Um, luckily, I think the patients kind of wanted something to change, so it was okay for me. But uh, I think the, the key words I tend to use is, look, yes, we could absolutely leave it and we can deal with it when there are problems. But the way I see it is that I'd rather step in now where it's a smaller thing to deal with rather than down the line where if it does break, you might end up losing the tooth and it's going to cost you more money. Uh, again, it's a conversation. So, yes, you can absolutely say um, you can essentially I would tell them to change the philosophy uh, and explain the philosophy um, and then we can go for, goes from there basically um, that's, that's yeah that, that's, that's perfect yeah, it's, it's just it's being upfront with the patient about a, a, a difference in yeah. philosophy between the previous dentist and you and uh, justifying why that's the case and I think you did it beautifully there in terms of explaining in the patient's own terms the benefit the patient can derive yeah. from a more, pro, more proactive uh, approach so that's, uh, that's awesome so number three because we got a lot to cover in this uh, 10 list so number yeah. three in habits of a highly successful dentist was that they don't get validation from how much patients pay them but they uh, but they get validation from how the patients values what they have to say so if the patients values what you have to say they naturally accept the treatment so it's all about not how much um, uh, money they pay, but how much they value what you have to say, which is which is great. But let's talk about the patients that just innately do not value dentistry, right? 
What do you, how do you handle that, Rajiv? Because mm. uh, did you, do you try and do everything within your power to change a patient's values? Or do you, do you, do you move on from that patient and actually just accept the fact that you will never be able to change the values? So I'm just interested to know that there are lots of patients who don't value dentistry. Uh, and when you tell them a crown costs anywhere from 800 pounds plus, they get shocked. They, they, they are, their anchors are very different. Uh, and and they don't value dentistry yeah. like they do um, other parts of let's say you know whatever they they value a holiday or a kitchen or whatever. So how do you handle that? Well, I, I think this comes very much down to the first point where I said if you can explain something on terms of some, uh, uh, explain your treatment in terms of how it will affect their life and their um, and the and the problems they're going through as opposed to their clinical symptoms, I think that's probably the first step in getting them to value it. Um, you've also got to remember that most patients have taken time out of their schedule to remember to go to the dentist, put it in their diary, phone up the dentist, go through your reception team, uh, get the appointment, put it in their diary and correlate it with their diary and come and sit in your chair. I think they've got to value something to have to do all that. It's, I mean... They've not done that to come and sit in your chair and go, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here because I've been forced to. No one's forced them to do that. Maybe their wife on occasion, but no one has really forced them to do that. So it's there is already the fact that they're in your dental chair, they already value it to an extent. Um, mm-hmm. Again, I think I think people get shot when they when they don't um, when somebody prescribes some treatment without understanding where they're coming from first but if, if you again it, I think this all comes down to the first point if you understand their story and explain the treatment in relation to their story that solution becomes more valuable in the first place it's Fine. very so difficult to it's, it's say, about oh, framing yeah, it in their own sort of way mm-hmm. yeah because because if somebody's if you if a patient comes in and says I got a broken tooth it's painful and then the dentist goes okay well let's have a look has a quick quick peek takes an x-ray and he goes yes you're right you got a broken tooth by the way that's a thousand pounds even hearing that from me uh, even if you are a dentist sounds okay yeah that's quite a lot of money and well they, it's quite obviously they're shocked whereas as i said if if i'm fixing a solution so if i'm saying to somebody look doing all this treatment is going to be able to you can smile again you won't have that problems you can go out with your friends without having to worry about what you're eating all of a sudden, a patient will pay thousands of pounds for that solution, even mm. though the clinical treatment is exactly the same. So I think I think that's the best thing. I mean, there are many ways you can get um, you can explain value to your patient, but for me, that's the key way. Um, but experienced dentists and the best dentists are able to have that conversation in their own way. However, they do it, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But um, they're able to get their patients to value the dentistry. I mean, just a side topic. I, I like what you said there. This is a side question now based on that is, uh, do you think there is a role for scripts? Now, in sales, a lot of sales uh, sort of companies, they actually advocate the reception team and, uh, dare I say, even some clinicians to, to have some scripts. I'm not a massive fan of that. However, I am a fan of having having a structure to what you're going to say to, to best present something to a patient oh, rather than being haphazard. What do you think about that? That's exactly it. That's exactly what I was about to say. Scripts don't work. In my opinion, they don't work at all. 
sometimes some stock phrases work because they can have impact, but scripts tend not to work because again, if you're trying to understand a patient's story, every story is different. The, the, the overriding story might be the same, but the nuances are different. Uh, and so you still have to listen to them. A structure is more important than a script. And for me, the structure is more about understanding that my, the first part of my structure is letting them talk and not interrupting them at all, letting them talk and asking them questions. Then the next thing I kind of want to know, the next part of my structure is to try and understand um, when these things have happened, how does that make them feel? Mm -hmm. um, were they shocked? Were they scared? Were they upset? Were they um, uh, mortified about it? Rajiv, do you straight uh, up ask them, how did that make you feel? Like when you broke your tooth, how did you make that feel? I, I, I think it's important to uh, get that emotion from them. But sometimes when you get that big yeah. butch guy, <laughs> it's, there's got to be a, a tactful way to, to extrapolate their feelings without straight up asking them how that made them feel. Do you know what I mean? So, so there's two ways of doing it. That's one of them. I, I, I can't do that. It sounds very, um, it sounds quite aggressive if I say that. Um, I tend to say more along the lines, and you can use your experience as a dentist here. If my patients, um, previous patients have told me this, they tend to be quite upset and I can imagine it being quite upsetting. And the mm -hmm. patient will almost certainly nod and go, okay. yeah, it was upsetting. And they, sometimes they go, no, it wasn't upsetting. It was more this. Uh, and sometimes, uh, but you can usually pitch that emotion to them directly. Um, and yeah, they that's what I was looking for. I'm disagree. glad you said that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I love that to pitch that emotion and then get validation if they agree um, yeah. from that, rather yeah. than where I've had, um, I've, I've been taught before on, on some courses where like ask them, you know, if you had this, how would it make you feel? Or, uh, you know, just that, that sort of question, it just doesn't belong. It doesn't seem right. So I, I like the way yeah. that you said it. Pitch, it, it, suggest it to them and see if some, you they agree. Yeah, some people can get away with it, but I can't. And I don't think many dentists can. It depends on your patient as well. It. Depends, it depends on your, you know, if yeah, you get a little, yeah. little old lady who's very sweet, you know, then yeah, fine, more in tune with their feelings. But if you get a bloke in their 40s, 50s, they're not going to buy it, <laughs> usually. Yeah, it, it, again, it, but, I mean, and, and you have to pitch correctly. You pitch to, too strong emotion, it, it you you tank. You have mm. to pitch, if anything, slightly lower than what you think. So it's very easy to pitch um, upset as opposed to devastated. You could only use yeah. devastated when when you know they've broken their tooth the day before their wedding. That then you'd be devastated. Right? You, you, if you got a little chip on the on the upper eight, the, the patient wouldn't be devastated. They'd be maybe upset. Maybe uh, um, it might be irritating for them. But they would yeah, be, you have yeah. to pitch slightly lower than you think. And then usually the patient will upgrade that feeling. So that's the, that's the second part. But again, these are all that little is, structural differences. That's a gem. Thank you so much. That's an absolute yeah. gem. Brilliant. So number four, um, successful dentists and those who are most valued, they work with their nurses to make sure everything is ready and set up before yeah. the patient enters the room. So, I mean, the value of a great nurse yeah. is monumental. So what I want to know for you, from you is, a, are you a checklist kind of guy? Are you, I, I, I don't know, maybe I get a feeling that Rajiv is a, a checklist manifesto kind of guy, uh, but tell me, are you, are you not? And, and, and how I'm, can you get I'm your nurses I'm actually not at all. Are you not? Okay, fair enough, cool. So tell me, how do you, no, how do you get the systems in place? Um, I, you know what, I think it was driven out of patient care. Uh, and I know that sounds really silly, 
Uh, so it's partly, it was driven out of patient care and it sometimes that sounds in, not silly, that's not the right word, uh, contrived, but it's not at all. Um, and, and also slightly out of selfishness. Um, essentially, I realized I was running occasionally quite late with some certain treatments where, uh, especially if I had a junior nurse, and I realized it, it wasn't their fault that I started doing some work and then I turn around and ask for an, a particular material or a particular instrument. I realized that it wasn't in the room at the time and that they had to run out of the room, get it and come back. And then you're sat there for 30 seconds twiddling your tum- thumbs and it feels like five minutes. Oh my God, and the, patient, and, the, and the patient is looking up at you going, is something wrong? And you're going, no, no, there's nothing wrong. We just got that. And you, you, it's not as if that patient has turned up to your surgery and needs random care you've prescribed this care you should know what you're doing so i worked out that um, again i did this with all the dentists in the practice and we sat down and for example we looked at crown preps and went right if we're going to do a crown prep what are the you know what's 90 percent of the materials we need if not 99 percent of the materials need and they, we, we pretty much all agree you know you're going to need some form of burr you're going to need a fast hand piece you're going to need some sort of impression material or scanner you're going to need a retraction cord. You're going to need, um, you know, trades, for example. So if we know we're going to need those things, what's, why can't we get that well already good to go? And the way you frame this to your nurse is you say, look, you know that awkwardness that we have when we haven't got something and I'm looking at you and you're looking at me? We, I don't want that anymore. And I don't think you want that anymore. And let's just be prepared to be organized because we know what we're going to do. Uh, I'm, going to t- I'm going to spend 15 minutes before the beginning of the day or the beginning just before lunch. And we'll sit there looking at our treatments and we'll get everything ready. And that way we don't run late. The patient gets mm-hmm. proper care. And then there's none of this awkward conversation between us. And um, I, mm-hmm. I, I believe that the best quality care is only delivered when you've got your full concentration on the patient if you're looking up at your nurse wondering what the hell's going on your mind is somewhere else you're not delivering mm-hmm. proper proper dentistry and you can only learn in a situation where you're concentrating if you're mm-hmm. doing the other thing you're not learning you're coping you're, absolutely and i think, no I think what i've learned is that nurses of coping. Mm-hmm. Well, I say, what i've learned is that nurses what they value the most is consistency so if you keep changing your protocols 100%. without uh, communicating with them first then uh, that's gonna be stressful for the nurse because they, they want to do a good job for you right and they want to make sure that everything goes smoothly that they yeah. can get their lunch and they can go home on time and they can enjoy the patient care without those blips without having to run down the stairs to get something but also that, I mean, the, yeah, the thing they found the most stressful is that when they change dentists or they have to work with a different dentist, a lot of the times that's when they experience the most yeah. stress because then they have to learn a new routine and then develop the consistency in that. But then the dentist who keeps changing their mind and doesn't have a set system is probably the most stressful dentist to work for. So if you're a dentist out there listening to this and you don't have a system in place that can uh, promote consistency, then now's the time yeah. to speak with your nurse and develop that, I think. So it's also, in terms of learning, it's good I, It's good to know what you're doing now and you can always upgrade one thing or the other. So you can always Someone's here, right? You've Amazon. You've got Amazon at the door. You've got Amazon at the door. probably. <laughs> uh, so uh, you could, you could, uh, it's, it's very easy to have a list of what you're doing now and then just upgrade one feature of it. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're trying to change five things at once, people tend not to, 
that, that tend not, tends not to work so well. That's so a good tip. You incremental have a list of, I'm going to do the buckle preparation. Yeah, incremental changes works way better than wholesale changes in one mm -hmm. go. Um, I've seen so many people on, on courses who, who learn one thing and then they try to change everything and it never works. You just got to change one thing at a time. Yeah, in the real world, it has to be one thing at a time. Absolutely. So uh, number five uh, is they do not moan about their working environment or the system or their staff. Uh, they help and find solutions to problems and improve the situation. So what I took away from this is that this reminded me of the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where Stephen Covey talks about the circle of uh, concern and the circle of influence. And for those uh, not familiar with this, there's things that concern us, right? Like the CDO concerns us because what she has to say ultimately has some impact on us. Um, the state of uh, COVID-19 at the moment and PPE concerns us, okay? But you decide whether that's going to let it, you know, dictate your entire mood, entire, entire system, everything, or can you work around it? You have to accept that what's happened has happened. You can't change that. But what you can change, you have to adapt and, and, and do the best you can, that scenario. So tell me about... Um, about not uh, blaming your environment. I mean, uh, when I see your posts about the NHS, you make it work because you have got these very uh, strong opinions about how it should be run more efficiently in a, in, in a better way. And I completely respect that. But a lot of people just yeah. go to the default. The easy option is to moan about it. The the harder option is to accept it and, and change yourself so that you can well, make yeah. it work. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I think if you look around the world at any system, the people who are in that system are going to moan about it. I mean, there's no such thing as a perfect system. It just, even privately, there's no such, even a private system isn't perfect. Um, so you have to make the system work for you. Um, I think, I think there's, there's great value in looking at how things work and making it work for you uh, rather than hoping that somebody else comes and tells you how to fix it and makes it work for you. No one helps you build it. Once you've built it, everyone wants to do that and join you. But um, I mean, for example, I mean, the NHS obviously has many flaws in, in uh, dentistry and, um, and uh, uh, medicine generally. But if, if you can make it work, because so many people are finding it difficult to do that, that's an asset. Mm. And so, um, I mean, <laughs> If, if, if you have a conversation about how we make it work, that's I think a three-hour dental podcast. <laughs> so I don't really want to. I don't really want to go down that way. Um, but but yeah, I'll I just say it now, Gregory, because you're right. Because we can't go into that mm. too much. But I've, I, I told you at the beginning when we have a little chat that a lot of people mm. have messaged me about um, making that transition from uh, DF to uh, their first associate position. And they don't mm -hmm. have the benefit of having a, a mentor like you, who's obviously, you know, I'm sure you pass this information on to your uh, DF1s, right? Well, do you do any courses or anything like that to, to, to learn well, this sort of stuff? Because well, I, I do think I, what you have is very valuable. Yeah, I, I personally don't. But um, I do work with, um, uh, well, it's a company that's been around for ages, but they've rebranded to be Squadron Strategy, run by a guy called Asif, who you know very well mm -hmm. uh, as his side and he is uh excellent at teaching things like that 
Um, I do teach on some of his courses as well. And uh, I mean, he's very difficult to get hold of. Uh, so if you, if you Google him, it's, you're going to be found it very difficult. So most people actually, he only It's fascinating. It's very much word of mouth referral. That, uh, it's with, it's with, 100% uh, word of mouth. Uh, he's yeah. a very charismatic guy. I met him once, very charismatic. So for those asking, I will put a link on, uh, perhaps Rajiv can help me with a link. Because yeah, like I, I said, we can't go on this topic forever. Yeah. But those who want to find how to see the NHS in a different way, I do think that's going to be quite life-changing. There, there, there is one thing I would say, because uh, yeah. I've been interviewing a lot, uh, that kind of does help people is that maths is, is a big thing. And people uh, moving from your example, DF. Uh, VT training into a first associate job. I mean, one of the things they're accepting contracts without understanding what that contract means. So when I've been interviewing, I've tried to explain to any potential DS what they're actually getting themselves in for. Um, so if you accept a 5,000 UDA contract, the simplest thing you can do is take 5,000, divide it by the number of days you're working, uh, divide it by the number of weeks you're going to be working. Don't use 52 because you're going to take six weeks holiday or four mm -hmm. weeks and then two weeks you might be ill um, <laughs> and divide that out. Basically work out the number of U days you're doing. And typically if it's 5,000, you're going to be doing around 21 U days a day. And you can imagine in your head what sort of things you'd have to do to see uh, in, in a seven hour day to do 21 U days. For example, you do eight checkups um, a couple of band two treatments, a couple of band three treatments, and you're there. So that's it, it just helps you work backwards. So that's just one way of making the system work. You shouldn't just take 5,000 UDAs, and when you get to the end of the year, you get to 3,000, and then blame the system that you didn't meet your contract. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You didn't do any work to try. To, you have to, to do the, the due diligence to to, to actually yeah. figure out. So something uh, you know, I, I read that you posted before, and I, I completely agree with that. So that's a great little uh, tip about mm. how to work within the environment and the system we have. In the interest of time, Rajiv, we're going to move on to the next uh, five. Oh. That's okay. We're going to have to blitz yeah. through these, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, number six. Okay. They are happy to refer out and develop a skill, a niche that allows people to refer to them. So happy to actually feed other people and happy to be fed. Uh, so my yeah. question from this one is, what is your niche, Rajiv, and how did you develop it? And what advice would you give to young dentists to develop their niche or find their niche? Okay, well, mine's kind of weird because I like dentistry. So I like doing everything. I actually do. The only thing I don't like really doing is pediatric dentistry. So that I, I, I haven't seen children for 10 years, but um, that's just because I don't like it. But I actually quite like doing everything. But I, I, my niche has now largely become orthodontics and bonding and implants and a combination of those two things, mm -hmm. um, which which is fantastic for me. Um, and now it's got to the point where I've got a historically larger list that uh, the patients who now are needing one or two composite restorations, it just doesn't float my boat anymore. And I haven't got the time for it. So I'm now passing private work I'd love to be able to pass to my associates, but even they're busy. So I'm even giving my private work to my vocational trainees, which is great for them. And they get loads of time to do it. And, you know, they're always um, really willing to, to do stuff like that. Um, I'm passing it, obviously, some to my associates as well. But uh, so that's what we mean is that I take, when they see those cases, they go, right, you, you can do that. And often I'll say, well, yes, I'd love to, but come and watch me so you can get something from it mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And then they're able to 
uh, and I'm able to give them stuff as well that I don't want to do, but they they love doing. And I think um, as dentistry becomes increasingly complicated, everyone niching down is going to be a is going to be a good thing, as long as they are able to accept that they have to refer out and become good at something so that people are comfortable referring mm. to them. And mm-hmm. a, a, again, I think simply that's what happens. Very rarely do you get an experienced dentist that does everything. Mm, if you look at true. any any dentist that you respect or follow online, they tend to stick to two or three treatments. And, and, and also, Rajiv, is is coming is becoming comfortable with the fact that you will not be doing dentures anymore and you will not be doing peas anymore and you won't be doing endo anymore, but you'll do the other things. And, and coming to terms with the fact that it doesn't make you any less of a dentist, but becoming making a decision that, you get, okay, this portion of dentistry doesn't, you know, uh, rocky boat, as you said, and this portion does. Yeah. And you're going to, you know, not only upskill and become awesome at that, uh, but then you can also feed others from the other bits that, you know, someone out there loves doing dentures and they'll do it better than you. <laughs> Send it to that guy. 100%. 100%. I mean... I don't like doing dentures. I, I think I'm actually pretty decent at them, but I don't like doing them. It yeah, just doesn't. That's it. It doesn't interest me. So, how can someone find their niche then, uh, Raji? Someone listening to this uh, and they're maybe one or two years qualified. Um, how do you find your niche? Um, you know what? That's a very good question, and I'm, I actually don't have an answer to that. I think, I think, it. I think you shouldn't try to find it too early. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Don't try and find. It. Try your hand at being a general practitioner for at least, I would say, two years, at least two years, really five. At the end of five years, you'll very quickly know, even at the end of two years, you'll very quickly realize that some treatments really interest you, uh, whether it's, and, and, and personally, it, it, it's, um, you know, you, you, can, you can pick one at leisure and, and try it for a while. You don't have to commit to it completely. You just say, well, I'm going to try doing free ginger grass for a year and you know i'll get good at it and uh and refer out so i, I like doing vision of i'm still very i'm quite good at them i still refer a lot of them to periodontists mm-hmm. because it's just something i i can do i i know i can do it but uh, I, i've got too much other stuff and i'm more interested in other stuff so it's, it's a good problem um, to have uh, rajiv and i think everyone yeah. should aspire to that but i think the takeaway point there is try everything and figure out what what you do like but you have to yeah. first you try and you'll fail uh, a, a lot of things in, initially and you'll succeed and you'll find out you're really good but then you won't you, you'll really learn that you're good at something but you don't enjoy it and that's a, a revelationary moment mm-hmm. yeah that's it i mean um if you enjoy something you're going to do more and more of it and you're going to get good at it even if you start mm-hmm. off not being good at it it's just mm-hmm. the way it works dentistry again is a skill any skill can be learned mm-hmm. just on that on, on that point if someone's listening my advice uh, on that finding your niche is exactly what you said try try everything uh, and and give everything a shot oh, there's one point mm-hmm. i just had it's just it's just gone now that was really really hard-hitting and impactful. If I think of it, I'll, I'll come back to you later. But anyway, we've got to move on to the list anyway. We've got to move on to the list. Uh, number seven, Rajiv. Uh, they don't ask for something for nothing. Instead, they build value before investing and asking for investment. So I think that's already, we, we sort of touched on that when we said about yeah. um, the premolar that's broken, take an x-ray. Yes, it's broken, it's a thousand pounds. It was that scenario again. Uh, would you, yeah. is there any other take that you'll put on that? Or is it sort of um, like what we discussed before naturally in conversation? Um, I also, I, uh, I mean, this is doesn't apply for associates or principals specifically. I think this is dentists generally. So, from a principal point of view, 
you know, you don't ask from your associates for something for for nothing, right? Mm-hmm. If you're asking them to make a change, um, it, there should be a benefit, and there should be a benefit for everyone. So, I, I whenever I we try and do a change, I always look at four things. So, it should, there should be a benefit for the practice. There should be a benefit for the uh, the um, uh, associate. There should be a benefit for the staff and a benefit for patients, of course. So all of those things have to be met before we do anything. So whenever I'm asking for something, there is a benefit for that. I'm not just doing it willy-nilly. I'm not mm-hmm. just asking for one person's benefit. And I think the same goes from a, um, an associate's point of view when they're, when they're communicating with the principal. Uh, a lot of the time, they uh, and I find that um, this, this might sound rude, but I, I find that too many associates just ask for stuff to, for the sake of asking for stuff. Um, so I've, I've had um, associates that I've had really good relationships with uh, and they've asked for things and I've said, okay, I, I understand why you're asking, but why do you want that? What's the benefit of that for everyone else? Because mm-hmm. if you're asking this just to benefit you, I, it, that's a very difficult set. Mm-hmm. Um, where, whereas, you know, I, I'd rather say, Look, if you if you're doing this, it has to. I, I like them to meet the same criteria. It's got to benefit the practice. It's got to benefit the patients. It's got to benefit the staff in some way. What's the most ridiculous request you've ever had? Uh, thankfully, I don't think I've had any. None on the top of my head. I, I'm sure I'll think of something. <laughs> if you do, just uh, just just shout. Oh, let me know. So, yeah, I go have, on. Uh, it was from one, a staff member. They asked for a washing line even though we got a clothes horse because the clothes horse was a bit too low. And I was like, <laughs> no, that's just, that's just ridiculous. Because I'd have to drill holes in the wall somewhere and put a washing line somewhere. We don't have the space to do that. I was like, um, yeah, that's quite ridiculous. I, I wasn't like, expecting that. I was yeah. expecting you to say some sort of like, a, you know, milling unit and a, and a scanner two in one sort of thing, but you, you know, the humble washing line. <laughs> yeah. I just, I mean, sometimes people ask for stuff for no reason, but they, yeah, you know, if someone asked for a milling unit or a, wash, uh, um, uh, a scanner, I'd be like, okay, fine. Yes, I understand why that might be attractive. But if that's the case, then, you know, we'd have to be doing this number of crowns and this number of things. And I'd be open for it, but the math has to work. So yep. I have to yep. say, I'd, and I'd say that to them. I'd say, look, yeah, I, I'm open to it, but the math has to work. You have to, mm-hmm. This is what we need to do to do that. And then I say, are you willing to do that? Will that benefit our patients? And do you think our staff will be okay with that? And -hmm. if they go, yeah, I think we can do that. Then I go, okay, well, let's put a plan to get that. Let's get those numbers up first and then go for that. So most of those requests aren't ridiculous. No, of course not. Uh, Of course not. But the washing line was. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Very good. So uh, we got eight, nine, and 10 to go. So number eight is they look to improve in, and I love this one. They look to improve in three key areas. Clinically, financially, and personal growth, okay? Uh, and aren't afraid to ask help to do this. So um, it's self-explanatory what you said there, those three areas, so important. So I just want to know a little bit more about you. Um, how do you draw inspiration for those three areas? How do you develop in those three areas? So clinically, well, financially, and personally. Well, I think all three of them are um, linked. So I'm going to talk about personal first because... Uh, for me personally is, um, you know, interest that's out outside of dentistry, but more important than that, managing my own energy. So whether I'm tired or not, 
And, you know, that, that that's one of the things. I think if burnout is a big thing in dentistry nowadays. Um, and the way I see it is, um, again, I kind of see it in a very robotic way. Uh, if I hired an associate, and instead of calling them an associate, I called them a treatment-generating machine, right? So if they were a robot doing that, uh, take out all the personal part. And I worked that machine at 100% for a whole year i left it on you know that machine if it was a machine would need some maintenance some repair some you need to switch it off occasionally you might need to reboot it um and if that machine cost a million quid you'd want to do that a lot Mm. and essentially that's the way i see dentists if you can't work yourself down into the ground because you are a machine in to an extent you're going to need some maintenance so you're going to need to eat well you're going to need to exercise you're going to need a service so you're going to have to go on holiday you're going to have to mm-hmm. replenish yourself uh, you're going to have to have some some ios upgrades right so, <laughs> so you're going to have to go you're going to have to go on courses you're going to have to learn yeah. how to improve because otherwise you'll become an ancient machine you need to improve yourself so I, that's how I see it, which I know, as I said, it's kind of weird, but that's how I see it's it. It's great. It's great. It's, I, th- I think that's on a personal level, that's what you're going to have to do. Financially, uh, I think financially and clinically are the same thing. Because if you have a look at a great dentist you admire and respect, they're, they're not doing great dentistry and not getting rewarded for it. Uh, I think it's okay, and this is our philosophy, that you can, if you do good, good quality dentistry and you can have good quality conversations with your patients and they understand it and value it, it's absolutely okay if they pay you for it. What's not okay is if you do crap dentistry and fleece the patient. And this is probably more important. It's not okay for you to develop as a dentist, not be able to communicate with that patient, spend a lot of money on your own investment. And then they don't take the treatment and you don't get rewarded for it. I think people miss that one out. So that's not okay for us either. If I love that. That's my opening snippet of the podcast right there. That was, yeah. that was it. That was the, the take that. Wow. That was awesome. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's our philosophy. It's only okay. If it works for everyone. Brilliant. That's, that's how I work. Awesome. So we took to cover the, that as well. So two more to go. And I'm honestly, these have been awesome. Uh, if you didn't listen to the earlier part, Rajiv wrote these uh, like, you know, a ridiculous o'clock in the morning. Um, insomnia. I don't know. What, what was it? Insomnia. No, no, my daughter was like, <laughs> yeah, she was, uh, she, she was having a bad night. So, so I was okay. as well. But I thought, well, let's, let's do something with this. Because I, I started thinking about my hiring. Yeah, well, it's a very inspired list. I love it. So number nine is that um, the most successful and most valued dentists are not adversaries. They want to associate and collaborate. And what I found is that the most successful dentists that I message, they're always, always, always willing to help me. Always. Yeah. Um, and they're always willing to share and, and, and help others and lift everyone up. Uh, so uh, can you expand on that 100%. a little bit? I mean, the best dentists don't shoot, shoot people down on Facebook. It just doesn't happen, right? Um, the best dentists want to work with other dentists, uh, and they and you know they even they do the they 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 do the best courses. So they will go and learn from somebody else. Quite quite um, effectively. I mean, uh, a lot of dentists are scared of communicating with other dentists because they feel they're going to be shot down. I think that's wrong. 
um, I, I love it when someone contacts me and asks for help because um, I think if we can uh, work as a profession and talk to each other properly, um, we, we, we'd, get, we'd get a lot further than we are. Uh, we'd have a lot more impact politically and for other reasons as well. Um, for every, everything, we, we, we would just be better. Um, but yeah, the, the best dentists don't try and shoot other people down. They work with them to improve themselves. I think that's quite self-explanatory. Well, you are a validation of this. I remember one time I was doing my um, one of my first uh, Invisalign cases some years ago now, and uh, I was having to do this molar IPR, and I quickly messaged you say, Rajiv, uh, which bird do I use? Because uh, I knew you did a lot of Invisalign, right? And, oh God, and literally that, yeah. within within two minutes, man, within two minutes, not only did you send me the bird, you sent me like a really like HD zoomed in version. Then you showed me how to orientate on a, on a plastic model of the teeth, okay? And then you gave me some tips about how to uh, re-engineer my um, clinchecks in the future to avoid that where possible. So honestly, you are a, a, you know, a validation of that. And uh, this is why I respect you so much, as you know. So thank you for helping me in my journey, Rajiv. Uh, I, I completely and, forgot about that. But yeah, I remember doing I don't. that as well. I, I will never forget anyone who's helped me so much. And, and you know, so, uh, public, thank you for that. Uh, and last one is how to take adequate time off. Uh, well, that they take adequate time off and be fully recharged and energized. And you've touched on that already, but uh, I just want to know how much time do you recommend someone takes off or does this depend on the dentist, uh, individual dentist, but also one more thing to put a little twist in it is the whole 10,000 hour rule. Do you think that in your first five years post-qualification that perhaps you should be working five or six days a week to rack up your experience and then maybe wind down in the future? That's another way to think about it. What do you think about those two things? Possibly. What people forget about the 10,000 rule is it's not 10,000 hours of random work. It's mm -hmm. focused. Clearly, I've forgotten the word he, he uses, but it's, it's, um, uh, it's, it's purposeful. Specific. It's purposeful. purposeful. Yeah, yeah. That's probably the right word. Mm -hmm. It's purposeful work. Uh, 10,000 rule does not apply if you're burnt out working like a zombie. It, that mm -hmm. just doesn't work. So that's the first thing. I, I, in terms of holiday obviously you have to meet your contract you can't take six months off so there's got to be a balance but when you do take holiday it has to be effective and it has to be taken effectively the worst thing that happens is that somebody uh, doesn't book holiday they come back from holiday they're quite refreshed and four months down the line they go you know what i need a holiday and obviously if you're booking a holiday four months down the line you're already knackered and you won't be able to get away for another month and a half. So what happens in that month and a half is that you're working on empty. Um, I think more importantly, what, what's better to do is say, well, again, take a step back and go, if I take a holiday here in four months time, I know I'm going to be a bit tired. Let's book some time off. Even if I don't book holiday yet, that means when I'm getting close to it, I can re energize myself and I can book something close to the time um, but at least I know I've got that bit of time off what tends to happen is you work uh, a lot of dentists work for far too long at a lower energy and completely knackered and then they mm -hmm. get to the end they realize they're knackered or e even worse they don't even realize that somebody has to tell them to take some holiday off which I've had to do actually I have to tell someone to take holiday and then they and then they, uh, it takes them a while to get that holiday. So I think actually ordering your holiday is more important than actually how much holiday you take. I, th I think four weeks is, is, is probably the minimum. So I always tell everyone they should take their proper allocation. Um, 
if you can take more but um don't take the piss so, <laughs> don't take the piss everyone that's a take-home point uh but no it, it's it's really good and it you know what we uh addressed there hit on the head is that ad hoc culture of taking holidays when you're tired but your way of suggesting that you know be more proactive in your holiday taking book out yeah. look at the entire 12 months and predict when you're going to have these uh, um, periods where you're going to be re-energized how the hell do you go skiing all the time i mean i'm knackered when i go skiing and i come back and you're like going and skiing and you're talking about re-energized <laughs> I, don't, I don't buy it <laughs> well uh, you know what for me i uh, whenever i take less than skiing that i uh, my lesson my instructor always goes you're such a lazy skier so I, I don't I don't ski to go like crazy. I ski to relax. So that's me. Okay. I'm actually quite a lazy skier. So that, that's the it, it makes sense now. It makes sense now. <laughs> yeah. But but as I said, it's it's more about it's not even the physicality of it. It is just switching off. That you just have to switch it off. Like the machine, you have to turn it off occasionally, let it cool down, let lubricate everything else. Um, and then you you're good to go after a week. So it just it's just mentally switching off for me. Um, for me, I don't think the physicality is that important. It's the, for me, it's the <laughs> mental part of it. Um, awesome. I, 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 yeah. Brilliant. Well, Rajiv, it's been it's been great to blitz these uh, 10 points, your very original points that you've written. So thank you for sharing that with the community. And it's great to get uh, an insight over, over this uh, podcast. And uh, honestly, thank you so, so much. No, it's been brilliant. Thank you. And thank you so much, guys, for listening all the way to the end. I'm really sorry if the audio was not clear at any point. It's sometimes the teething issues of, uh, of, of you know, different guests, different setups, different headphones, stuff. So I really apologize if the audio was unclear at any point. But, uh, but thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. I really appreciate it. And I've got a whole host of different exciting guests and lots of exciting episodes. Thanks so much for those of you who keep sending in your questions and suggestions. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much. And do check out splintcourse.com if you want to pre-register for a splint course. Thanks so much.